say God is, is bringing healing, is doing that kind of thing regularly in all of our lives. And so, uh, so thank you for participating in what happened. And those of you online, I, I just know that God's spirit knows no uh, physical boundaries. So in your living rooms, we're trusting that you're feeling the same thing we're feeling here in the room too, which is God is on the move. Um, I uh, uh, want to tell you a couple things, two, two years to keep in mind, two months in two years to keep in mind. July 2007, okay, that's when I bought my first house. And then the other is uh, October 2008 when I got married. So uh, I caused the great financial crisis of 2008. Some of you are like accounting people in the room or financial hedge fund people, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm going to unpack that in a moment. But uh, 2007, July, 7-27-07, it was before like e-sign, and so I signed it like a million times, and so I know the date. And then uh, uh, October 4th, 2008, the day I got married. So we'll come back to those in just a moment. But here's, here's who we are as a, as a people. We are trying to make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. That's what the worship was about. Let's make some space on a Sunday morning to build relationships with one another in the room. As we sing, we're knit together even when we're not talking to one another. God is uniting us. And we come to communion here at the end of our service, which is just like one of the most special, important meals that we're gonna celebrate um, today here at the end of our service. So yeah, that's who we are. And if you are like, you don't know what to think about Jesus. And you're like, I don't know that he's here, like the center of my life, but I'm curious. Uh, We just want to say you're welcome here and you're welcome among uh, a group of people whose belief and unbelief kind of vacillate and we're we're trying really hard to believe and we're going to look at a guy's story today who finds himself believing God and then in the very next chapter, not believing God. And that's who you're with today. People, fellow uh, journeyers trying to figure out um, who Jesus is. We're trying to wrap our lives around his life, um, as one song lyric says. Okay, all right, 07 and 08, you with me? You still got those two dates? Okay, so greed at the top of a financial system existed for uh, those who don't remember 07 and 08, and it had this trickle-down effect. Trickle-down effect to the point where it met me in Overland Park, and uh, I was looking for a house because I had to get the house before I got the girl. Okay, that's what I learned growing up. Indian culture, subculture is do not rent an apartment. That girl will not trust you. Like, it was just, I'm just like lifting the veil. Indian subculture is a little intense. Get a degree. Don't date while you're in college. I didn't. And then get a house. Make sure it has enough bedrooms and bathrooms to be exciting to a potential mate. And, and, then, uh, and then you get married. And it will make sense in that order. Deviate from that order and you're in trouble. You know, that's just kind of what I heard for 18, 24 years growing up. So people needed to make money. I'm, I'm not an economist, but econ- my economist friends tell me that people were greedy and that made uh, someone needed to make money at some point along the line. And so it eventually led potential homeowners like myself to walk into the bank and say, I make this much, how much money can I have from you to buy said house? And, uh, and they gave me a lot of money. Like, they gave me more money. I, I walked out feeling like a champion. Like, I am Shibu. I can buy a house. You know, I took that excitement to the real estate world and found a house. And I had no money for a down payment. 
that's not good. Those of you like don't, don't have a house yet, like you want to have 20% for a down payment ready because that changes the financial game. Like that's a big deal. I didn't have that, uh, but it didn't matter because eyes wide open, let's find a house because I'm dating this girl, Anna. And, uh, and this is me being super vulnerable because this is like not a story I've shared, but now it's being viewed by hundreds and thousands of people. So, <laughs> But I told Anna on our first date and on the border at 95th and Metcalf, I didn't roll out the financial ledger. You know, I didn't say, hey, I'm kind of in a wonky house mortgage right now. <laughs> we just got to know each other. That's what dating is about. And eventually we got engaged in April of 2008 and we we're married in October of 2008, and somewhere between April and October is when the financial ledger did come out, all right? And if you don't put a down payment down on a house, that 20% is at like an 8% interest rate. It's stupid high, and it's really foolish, uh, and I didn't get the details. I did not understand financial details at that season, in that season. So I'm sharing this with Anna, and she is... Uh, we have this moment. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because these are the ingredients of one of the most important topics that we're going to look at today, or that, that's in the Bible. It's this idea of covenant. This idea that two parties come together and they say that my stuff is not my stuff anymore, and your stuff is not your stuff anymore, but now it's, let's put it all on the table, it's our stuff. You with me? So my debt was about to become our debt. Her resources were about to become our resources. That's the simplest ingredients of covenant, this idea of two people coming together. It's an ancient idea. Uh, Kings would make covenants with other kings to say, hey, let's not attack each other. Let's be friends. Let's we are in covenant with one another. There were ceremonies for it. Uh, there, was, there were kings that would see a servant as loyal and faithful and give him a parcel of land, and that was a covenant, a land covenant to say, you're, you're loyal, and to guarantee that future loyalty, here's some land. Big deal in the ancient world. Now, today, we, we mark covenants, like the covenant we see most often is, is the wedding covenant, is marked by the marriage ceremony, and and silicone rings or metal rings. Like, rings are our covenant ceremony thing, like the, the object of it. In the ancient world, not so. In the ancient world, what we're about to learn is that uh, it involved something giving its life. Like, animal sacrifice is where we're going today. So if you're not ready for that, you may want to get ready for that. We're not going to get graphic about it, but there's certainly some level of, like, this is visceral, like what happens in Genesis 15, uh, and I just want to read it to you. Are you still with me? Okay. We made it through our mic issues. We are solid now. We are cruising. Yeah. Okay. Genesis 15, Abram, also known as Abraham, same person, but his name hasn't been renamed Abraham yet. That's in the future of Genesis. But Abram is, is wrestling. Like he's got this conversation with God and he's just like, God, I, you said I was going to have a lot of descendants. I don't have a one yet. And so when is this going to happen? And, uh, and here's what it says in verse uh, one of chapter 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants on my, of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. 
It's this conversation where just God says, I'm going to bless you with lots of family. And Abram replies with the, I don't have one child yet. And then God gets really specific about the promise and says, no, this will be a son from you and your wife. Like this will be a child, a real child, not anything that you have to manufacture outside the bounds of marriage, but this is your child. This will be the sign of the promise. Conversation goes back and forth and God says, uh, no, your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your own heir. Then the Lord, in this familiar scene, he takes Abram outside and says, look at the stars, Abram. That's how many, he just keeps reminding him of this moment that we are going to see your descendants, millions of them. Verse six is one of the most seminal, like most important verses in the Bible, in my opinion. It says this, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He just had to believe. It's a little weird to say he just had to believe. He had to believe. Like he had to believe with every fiber of his being that God was going to do this for him. The conversation continues and the Lord says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. And it just keeps, I, I have a journal that I write to God in, but the pen doesn't like pick up and write back to me, you know? But this is a moment where Abram is having a conversation with God. I've had moments where I sense God speaking to me, but this is a moment where Abram is hearing God's voice. And here's what, uh, what Abram says. How, oh sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? He just sees like the reality and kind of where he's at and realizes that this is, I need proof. And he can believe, remember he's already said he believes that this is gonna happen, but he still has this unbelief and that's, that's all right. You don't have to like land in beliefville and have no doubts. I love that about Abram and his conversation, his honest searching with God. I've, uh, I've spoken to a lot of you over the last three or four months with phone calls and texts, just checking in. And I, I'm acutely aware of how difficult things are for many of, many of you. There's lots of good things, yes, but there's relationships in disarray. There's an unexpected diagnosis. There, there's these things that you know God is good and you want to believe that, but it feels like that's so far away from your current reality. And Abram just has this moment and says, I just got to know. I, I need some proof how this is going to happen. And that's when he gets the, uh, the message of all messages from God. It's, it's the invitation to a covenant sealing ceremony. It's, it's equivalent to like uh, the, the bringing the wedding band to the, the wedding day. That's this moment. Because he hears five animals to bring this evening to a ceremony. And Abram knows. He's seen kings do this with other kings. He's seen people do this with other people. Covenants are marked with a ceremony. And here's what God says to Abram. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Just five animals, and Abram knows exactly what's happening. He knows he also is going to need a knife. He knows he's going to need an extra set of clothes because I'm not a hunter, but I know that something leaves a body when it's cut, and that's blood, and this is going to be a visceral experience, what's about to happen. I want to read you a quote from historian Ian DeGuid. 
Um, and here's what it says. At the conclusion of a covenant agreement, agreement, it was the custom for the parties, the two parties coming to covenant together, to walk between the pieces of a torn up animal. This served as a kind of acted out curse as the parties passed between the dismembered man- animals. They were saying, if I break the covenant, may I be torn to pieces like this animal. If you've bought a house or a car, perhaps you signed a contract that had all kinds of fearsome penalties if you failed to keep your end of the bargain. In the ancient Near East, the commitment of the parties was visually and dramatically reinforced. So we're going to read on here in just a moment, but imagine the scene. There's five animals, and they're making noise, and they're alive and making noise, but pretty soon they're dead and not making noise. And now Abram lines them out because he, he knows how the ceremony goes. You split the animals and they are separated, and there's an aisle between. It's like, it's all the smells, all the like, like things happening here, this moment. And then he knows what's supposed to happen next. And uh, in Genesis 15, it says this. Abram presented all these, all five animals, to God. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. This, this should feel creepy in this moment. Like you are in the right space if you're like, okay, what's going on here? This Ancient world, remember, we seal covenants with rings and precious metals. They sealed covenants with dead animals. I can't explain it. But in this moment, the sun is going down and Abram falls into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came over him. Then God starts to continue the conversation and just says, Abram, your, your descendants are going to be enslaved for the next 400 years. It's like the dark, the vultures, all fits the motif really, really well here. Because he just says, I know I promised you descendants. I didn't tell you everything, but they're going to be slaves. And then, after those hundreds of years, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them from slavery. That's going to happen. And you have this moment where it's like the darkness feels really appropriate, but when is it going to get light? Like, how, how does this become like a covenant ceremony? And Abram knows what's supposed to happen next. These two kings would walk from one side to the other side, passing by the other king, locking eyes, passing through these dismembered animals to the other side, locking it in, saying, if either of us deviates, we're like that. So Abraham's, Abram is asleep. Excuse me here. He's asleep, and here's what happens in, uh, next. The sun went down, and darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. That's how it ends. You're there, right? You're in the scene. Where's Abram? He's like sleeping on a rock. 
And God symbolically comes down in this smoking fire pot. Like, this is legend of Sleepy Hollow stuff. <laughs> like, my kids love this story. We have to skip over the dead animal part because that's a little intense. One party walks the line. And Abram is not even awake to, like, do anything. He sees it happening. This is mysterious. He sees it happening, but he is not able to walk. To walk and do the, the locking eyes with the fire pot. To lock, lock eyes with the presence of God and say that this will happen or this will happen. And you know what happens? One chapter later, Genesis 16. We're not going to get into it. It's PG-13, a little R-rated. And Abram, one chapter later, believes that there is no sun coming for me. I need to take matters into my own hands. God knows that chapter 16 is coming. He knows that Abram is going to not be able to walk the line. He knows that about Abram. And so he says, I'm going to walk the line. And I will be like that if this covenant is broken. Now, this is like unbelievable, but how could God die? My, my wife said to me last night, I got her permission to tell the story um, about the mortgage disaster. And she said, she said, make sure you tell people, we were on the way home from a friend's house for dinner, and she said, make sure you tell people that like, I saved. Like birthdays, graduation checks. I, I was told to save my money. And it was her parents, you know, that kind of helped her develop this save, not spend kind of mentality. And, and she had thousands of dollars because she, she had saved. She had forethought. That's what it is. Forethought. This thinking ahead, this ability to think ahead. What I want to suggest is that Genesis 15 is like the definition of forethought for us as people regardless of like you're following Jesus and you know what that means or like you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. This chapter, Genesis 15, means that Abram didn't have to walk the line and messed it up the next day. And he's not gonna be held accountable for how he messed up. And it means for all the followers of Jesus in that day and for everyone sitting in a little box in 12175 Strang Line Road today, all of our foibles, all of our sin, all of our mistakes, we, we should be paying the price, you know? But God says, I, I'm not gonna make them walk that line. I'm gonna make sure he can't like get up like, because he will not be able to do this, but I alone can do this. And, uh, and it brings us to this moment. Uh, if you're online, I'm holding the communion cup that we're about to... Um, to remember and, and celebrate because Jesus was the one who took the weight of all the curse of Abram, of his disciples 2,000 years ago, of you and I today. Jesus says the, those, all that, I am God and I am gonna die. I won't stay dead. Three days later, I will defeat death. But this is the moment where God forethought and thought, all those people in that box matter. All those people in Kansas City, they matter. I'm going to send my son so that whenever they have Genesis 16 moments, when they trip up and, and stumble, that they know that it's not up to them. 
It's not for them to earn their way into the family. It's a gift. Does that make sense? You with me? Genesis 15, like this mysterious moment, becomes like the foreshadowing of Jesus himself. So we do this, and it's this meal called communion, and I want to read to you what Jesus said about this meal. And I want you to listen for the word, the word covenant, because he uses it, and it will mean something to us today that it perhaps didn't before. In Mark 14, Jesus says this, last night of his night, uh, time on earth, he gathers his friends and says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it the, to the disciples, saying, take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So this is a little different, and I want to walk you through what we are holding. If you're here on site, if you're in your homes, then uh, you can gather your bread and, and or juice, uh, whatever you have. But what this represents is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, his body, the bread broken for us, uh, and his blood, the lifeblood, something that was spilled from his body that represented the forgiveness of sins. So a couple details, because this is different to have a self-contained communion cup. Um, and you're gonna, I'm going to demonstrate this for you, and uh, Nick and the team are going to lead us in a song. And at any point during that song, would invite you to, to take communion. Maybe it's with your family or someone you came with. Uh, maybe it's on your own. But the mechanics here are there's a, a cellophane wrapper on the top, and you're going to peel that back to get to the, the wafer. And that's the body, the bread of Jesus. And then underneath that is the juice, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, but then you'll just eat the, the wafer. Receive Jesus' body broken for you. And then this next part, I don't peel it back all the way because you might splash some juice, so just be careful as you're doing that. And I peel it back just enough to be able to, to drink it. And as you drink this, remember that this is Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of, of many sins. We can't wait to invite you to do that with us. If you're here and you're thinking like, isn't communion really special? Yes, that's why we want to invite you to it. And isn't communion for, is it for anyone? Yes, it's for anyone. Because what we do when we take communion is we just say, Jesus did it. He died a real death. And he defeated that death. And now he's alive. And that's just what we proclaim when we do this meal. So if you can do that, we respect your intellectual integrity to say, that's, that's a big deal, and I, I'm going to put this in my pocket. Like, that's a big deal. I don't know that I can say that today. But for those of us who can say that today, it's a moment to say we are united under the blood of Jesus. And his blood seals the covenant. So now God's stuff is our stuff, and we are his. Let's sing together and, and take communion. God, your, uh, your love is deep and wide and we, we feel it this morning.
for each one of us as we go, we just ask that you'd give us ways to not leave your presence. Give us ways to invite others into your presence. In your name, Jesus, amen. And we've loved being together. Uh, That's actually what we feel when we come to this communion moment. We feel deeply together. A scattered church at different services, the folks in the backyard at 10 a.m., the folks at 9 a.m., you and all those gathered online. Like we, we feel one when we take this meal. And it's been a long time since we've taken communion together. And so I think we can leave knowing that God has said, here's my resources. And you bring me your resources, your debt. And let's go. Let's do this together. So Heartland, I pray you feel the blessing of that today. And uh, we can't wait to to see you later this week and and, uh, in seven days too. So be blessed as you go. Thanks for being here.